Let us listen for the lesson from the prophet Ezekiel 34:11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and of thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the watercourses and in all of the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture and they shall lie down in good grazing land and they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. And the gospel lesson from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. The text we're about to read this morning is two of three back-to-back stories about lost sheep, lost coin, and then the lost son. We won't do that one. The premise is the same, valuable, something valuable is lost. And when found or recovered, there is joy and, and celebration that takes place. If we look at the words of the text, we can surmise in the audience that there were tax collectors and traitors, there were sinners and irreligious people, mostly shepherds. There were also women, because the coin in the story is from a wedding necklace that was lost. And of course, there were parents who got excited about the son running back home to dad. The same premise that everyone could understand and relate to. Something lost was found. The same basic truth with just a few nuances. Now listen to words, God's word. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he is founded, he lays it on his shoulder and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There was an Esquire magazine article on pubs, on pubs, and what made a perfect pub, a good pub, is a ready-made party, a home away from home, a club that anyone can join. It serves meals, it has a beer garden, a fireplace, a staff that knows your name, and sells snacks. I like the snacks. One can imagine the Jesus of Luke 15 sitting in such a pub, eating and drinking with anyone to the chagrin of the proper and the pure. To be more specific, in Luke 15, Jesus is eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, while the Pharisees and the scribes are, are grumbling about the company he keeps. That is the company he seeks out. The Greek here is pros dekome, pros dekome, or Jesus welcomes them. In response to this muttering, Jesus tells a story or a series of stories or, or, or lost and found parables having to do with homes and parties and letting anyone in, anyone the theological issues here circle around the soteriologically or the doctrine of salvation and the ecclesiology of the doctrine of grace. Who's in? Who's out? Who's lost? Who's found? And what does it mean to be saved by Christ? And what does it mean to be in the community of Christ today? Now, most world religions view heaven or the afterlife very much as, well, the good life. It's the good life. You can earn your way there. You can work your way there. In Islam, if you do good deeds and your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, presto, you may enter the portal to heaven. You may enter the kingdom. So they recommend good deeds that carry much weight like praying and going on a pilgrimage at least once in your life to Mecca. It also includes doing benevolent acts, like feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, and sheltering the homeless. Doing these things, hopefully, will outweigh your bad things that you've done in your life. And in a sense, you have to tip the scales in your favor or make it into heaven, although there are never any guarantees. In Judaism, it's their act of, of repentance and doing good deeds and by living a good life of personal devotion to God. Do those things and you stand a good chance to make it into heaven. Buddhism, Buddhism, Buddhism it's not called heaven, but it's known as nirvana and requires an eightfold path. Follow that path and you reach nirvana. 
In Hinduism, it's called reincarnation. You can break the cycle of reincarnation by ridding yourself of bad karma. Do you see the thread here with these world religions? The basic element, the basic premise is the same. You are doing something to earn your place into a place of the afterlife, up to heaven. It all depends upon you. Only Christianity, only Christianity teaches that humans can do nothing to get to heaven. It's not by human achievement. It's done by divine accomplishment. God and only God saves the lost of humanity. God searches out and saves the lost ones. One third, one third of Jesus' teachings were in the form of parables. A parable is different than a story in that a parable plays something beside something else. Jesus uses a parable to teach a religious lesson or a deep message to a specific audience that the group can relate to. In a sense, the, the group fills in the blanks of the story with their own knowledge of the task at hand. An earthly story with a heavenly truth that's going to stick. It'll be memorable. It's a good way of teaching. No, it's a great way of teaching. Jesus could have said, the name of my sermon today is Soteriological Implications of the Human Species and Faith. And he would not only lose people, but they would also fall asleep. What a snoozer. So parables appeal and reveal. They reveal the deeper spiritual truths about the kingdom of God. So he took the visible world and revealed the invisible kingdom. He took something they knew and put it next to something they needed to learn about. Now, now he appealed and he revealed, but he also concealed. He did this to hide the truth from certain people because he knew his audience. Not all were kingdom-minded. Not all had their eyes on the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus states in Matthew 13 that he spoke in parables because seeing they did not see, hearing they did not hear, nor do they understand. For the hearts of those people have grown dull. They are deaf and they're blind. The parables, the parables make you and me the sinners, not the searchers. But the lost object, lost not in the subjective sense of not knowing where we are, though that may be part of it, but in the objective sense of having become the object of another's search. That is, we are lost to someone who is, and we are assured of this, seeking us. God is like the shepherd who values each sheep in the flock like the woman who accounts for every silver coin that's on the necklace. God treasures every child of the family. When one goes missing, God goes into a search mode. God's nature is love, and love looks like one who goes out tirelessly searching because the one who is lost is so lost that he or she cannot find their way back home. 
You see, woven with the nature of God is the nature of the one who is lost. A lost sheep that can bleat out in distress often will not do so out of fear. Instead, it will curl up, lie down in the wild, find itself a hollow, and hide from its predators and become silent. It's so fearful in its seclusion that it cannot help in its own rescue. The sheep is immobilized, so the shepherd must bear its full weight to bring it home. Similarly, in the lost coin, uh, an inanimate object is, is unable to call out and shine brightly to bring attention to itself. Its rescue is totally dependent upon the woman's diligence. If for the sinners and the tax collectors, the doubters and the skeptics, these parables are about being found. For the Pharisees and the scribes, for the Pharisees and the scribes, they're, they're stories about learning to what Johnny talked about, learning to rejoice. The parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin both end with calling together friends and neighbors to join in the celebration. Indeed, the, the movement of joy pulses outward from one to many, from the earth to the heavens, and the party takes on a cosmic scale. Rejoicing itself seems to be the telos of these stories, the goal towards which they move beyond the penultimate moment of finding. So salvation consists not purely or even primarily in rescue, but in being drawn into the eternal celebration. The eternal celebration. For the Pharisees, the question becomes, who are you ready to party with? If the answer is, we don't party, or we don't party with them, then those righteous ones will have ceded to the pub the role of the parable of the kingdom. Do you remember, do you remember the show long in the 90s, uh, Joan of Arcadia? Do you remember that show, Joan of Arcadia? Well, the title song is by Joan Osborne. And actually, the whole premise of the show is based on that song, those words express the longing of the lost to be found. What if God was one of us trying to make his way home? The murmurings of, of the Pharisees and the scribes would judge Jesus by the company he kept, implying that the one who shows hospitality to the sinner is himself a sinner. The sinner or the lost one would see things differently. Jesus understands the struggle with being lost, the emptiness of being separated, and the struggle to return. Jesus doesn't turn away from the sinners, but toward the lost to make a place for them, to welcome them home. Jesus understands that those on the fringe of the community are integral to what the community in all its fullness should be. Until they return, the community is incomplete. The parables that we read this morning are about hospitality. They are. It seeks to forgive and restore 
when one in our community goes missing, we are all affected. When one is restored, we are all the better off for it. That's how the household of God works. That's how God works. Neither a sheep nor a coin can repent. And I believe the issue of the two parables, therefore, is not to call sinners to repentance, but to invite the righteous to join the celebration. Whether one will join the celebration is all important because it reveals whether one's relationships are based on merit or mercy. Those who find God's mercy offensive cannot celebrate with the angels when a sinner repents. So they exclude themselves from God's grace. The Pharisees and the scribes, they put themselves outside the circle of divine grace and how they grumble at Jesus' fellowship with tax collectors and sinners. There, there is no joy, there is no celebration, no partying, no delight among the Pharisees and the scribes. Even though they're invited to the reception given on behalf of the joyous shepherd or the woman, they cannot bring themselves to come and thereby, like the elder brother and the prodigal son, they are exposed. Friends, we, we need to join in the joy, the celebration, the partying and the delight of those who were lost and are now found. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Ken Goodrich, and I'm humbled that you took the time to listen to this podcast. I pray that the Holy Spirit moves you to ministry and that if you don't have a church home, that you are able to find one please feel free to tune in on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 12.20 p.m. for our Bible studies, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. for our Learning Center courses, and, of course, on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. for our worship. Just go to fpclc.org to see all our various programs and events. Thanks again, and God bless you and keep you safe. May God embrace you and keep you in his countenance. Peace.